Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a finance partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. We hope from wherever you are listening, you are safe and healthy. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Matt Swartz, a partner in Pillsbury's corporate practice. Matt regularly advises middle market companies and their investors in M&A, venture capital, and private equity transactions, as well as public offerings. Matt is counsel to companies in the software, government contracting, technology services, medical devices, biotech, consumer products, and healthcare sectors. Matt also advises investment funds and family offices, as well as bulge bracket, mid-tier, and regional underwriters and placement agents. Uh, Hi, Joel. Thanks so much for having me. We've been working closely together for quite a number of months, Matt, so let's jump right into a topic that I know is near and dear involving the SBA's payroll protection loans. Everyone's been focusing on the basis for applying for these loans, but not much attention has been paid to the practical implications down the road for a PPP borrower that might be sold in an M&A transaction prior to the loan's maturity. What should people be thinking about here? Well, thanks, Joel. Uh, There has been a a tremendous amount of attention among middle market companies and small companies to the process of applying for and in anticipation of the potential forgiveness of the uh, PPP loans. And a number of companies are facing this question of having an acquisition offer prior to the maturity or even the application for forgiveness of, of these loans. So I'd say the first thing to remember is that while we have been focused on the standards of the loan application, for example, the necessity standard uh, and the certifications that the borrower has to make in the application, the first thing to remember is it's still a loan. It's still a note and, 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 a, and a loan agreement with a bank, which includes covenants. And those covenants are likely to include uh, a covenant against the sale or change in control of the company without the bank's consent. And when you have a violation of a covenant without the bank's consent, you have a default. Now, it's a bit of a dramatic term to introduce here, but that's a fact. So the first thing is, remember, it's a loan. And you've got to go to the bank and let them know that you're on the verge of selling a controlling interest in the company. And if the bank won't waive enforcement of that covenant, then there's not a lot more discussion because the loan will have to be repaid. If they will, then there's sort of another line in the flowchart, which is how should the borrower proceed in its dealings with the acquirer of the borrower? And one of the important features of the PPP loans is the restrictions on use. Now, those restrictions on use continue as long as the loan is outstanding, not merely during that first eight-week period, but the entire uh, period that the loan is outstanding. So as I've said in other contexts, good contracts make good partners, just like good fences make good neighbors. You need to spell out what the obligations of the acquirer will be with respect to the use of the money that the company borrowed before it was sold. You, and that could be the CEO or majority owner, made the certifications in the loan application. And so you should take responsibility in the acquisition agreements to make sure that the company continues to follow the restrictions that applied when the money was borrowed. Now, we're veering into new territory. These kinds of things are not what one normally thinks of as 
customary or market in M&A documents, but of course, so little is customary in the era of COVID-19. We're getting used to a lot of changes, and I think one of them will be if there remains borrowed capital subject to a PPP loan, imposing obligations on the acquirer to follow the use restrictions. And there are other dimensions to it as well. One of them is working capital. Sometimes, uh, well, very often, acquisition agreements include purchase price adjustments based on the working capital balance of the target in an acquisition. And a question that's reasonable to ask would be, would you treat cash that's borrowed with restrictions on its use the same as you would treat other cash in determining working capital balance? Because one thing that uh, one cannot do with borrowed cash is distribute it, use it for uh, repurchases of stock. So, the cash will either have to be repaid or stay inside the company and used for the purposes it's allowed and dedicated. And so you need an obligation for the borrower to do that. And you need to decide how that cash will be protected and how it will be counted in, in the working capital determination, just as you need to decide whether the loan itself is deemed to be indebtedness in the ordinary sense of the word. It probably should be since there's a repayment obligation and it's also a much less uh, the, the, the cost of the loan, the interest rate is much less than others available. So uh, financial advisors and others should work with the company to determine how that package should be combined to work effectively in the purchase agreement. But I think the big mistake to avoid is not discussing it. The key objective to attain is specifying exactly how the post-acquisition company will use the cash. Yes, I, I think those are those are very interesting issues and great insights, Matt. Um, actually, uh, in discussing other topics on this podcast, um, one of the things that often has come up is the importance of companies being proactive rather than reactive. And I think you've given another example where talking about the issue up front in advance rather than figuring out how to deal with it at the end uh, is definitely the way to go. Let's turn now uh, briefly to the Main Street Lending Program, which, um, although it hasn't been launched, uh, there's been a lot written about it, and um, the Fed um, is presumably uh, revising and, and considering some, some issues that have been brought to their attention by different industry participants. This program is aimed at larger borrowers uh, with larger government-backed loans contemplated. But I know there's at least one significant issue in the existing Fed's term sheets that makes the program ill-suited for a future sale of the borrower. I guess that there's an evolving body of rules on all of these loans. I think one of the things we've learned is that the government is figuring this out as they go. And I suppose that's to be preferred than, than waiting to make the money available. And I know the business community is eager for the Main Street Loan Program to rule out. I think the, the main issue that selling companies would confront sellers that had borrowed under the Main Street Loan Program would be the obligation to repay the, the debt borrowed under a Main Street Loan prior to repayment of any other debt. And most acquisitions, though not all, uh, are consummated on what is called a cash-free, debt-free basis. That is, typically the purchaser does not want to acquire a company the company's with its debt, and sellers don't want to sell cash. Typically, buyers don't want to buy cash either, although that's a different topic. So if a 
seller has multiple loans, including a Main Street loan, and the transaction is structured as a cash-free, debt-free transaction, the Main Street loan would have to be paid off first. Now, that's understandable from the government's point of view, somewhat unfortunate from the borrower slash seller's point of view, because a low interest loan would be a nice thing for the acquirer of the company to have. And if that loan is mixed with others for the purpose of, uh, well, when assessing the company's whole loan exposure, there's no choice but to pay off that low interest loan first, which is, of course, the opposite of the advice uh, borrowers normally get, pay off the highest interest first. This is the reverse. So, unfortunately, it takes the favorable interest rate of a Main Street loan uh, away from the borrower as an advantage it might be able to offer buyers in an acquisition. That's a good point, Matt. And um, I know one other issue that that is probably um, relevant in an acquisition context is that the Main Street loans have a requirement for the borrower to uh, use commercially reasonable efforts to retain its employees and maintain its payroll. And that seems like an issue that might be uh, complicated or difficult uh, to achieve in an asset sale context, for example. So if a company sells all or substantially all of its assets, um, then ordinarily the employees um, well, that the employees may or may not move uh, with the with the asset sale, but if the company has sold its assets, uh, then it it the existing company likely doesn't need all of the employees anymore, and if the employees move to the to the to the purchaser, I don't know whether the Fed would would see the the purchaser as fulfilling the original borrower's obligations on on that front. Um, so it seems like there's going to be further guidance coming from the Fed on some of these issues. Yes, I, I, I think we're in a world of continuing guidance on these loans. And I think one thing to keep in mind with that is that sometimes the asset sale structure is chosen not because the borrower uh, has less interest in the targets, or sorry, rather not because the buyer has less interest in the target's employees, but because they don't want to take on the liabilities of of the seller. And so the loan itself would be a liability, of course, which is another question whether that uh, the, the bank involved would, uh, would, would allow its obligation uh, to be assumed by the buyer. And many times they would in normal commercial transactions. A quick note, though, in M&A, we frequently negotiate the obligation of the buyer to continue to employ the seller's employees at current compensation levels for a set period. So while that's something that many sellers do to ensure that their employees have a future with the buyer, it may be a feature that's customary with these kinds of loans because of the regulatory requirements regarding employees. And I think we're as likely to see that in these transactions as ever, because I'm sure a key part of the government's policy in offering uh, these kinds of loans is to preserve people's jobs. And that's what those provisions do. Yes, that's absolutely right. Thanks, Matt. Um, any parting words for PPP or Main Street loan borrowers who are potential M&A targets prior to the maturity of their loans? I would say that there are so many things to think about when you're selling your company uh, and it's easy to lose track of some of the details. With respect to these loans, I would just say this is not the usual situation. This is not merely a loan. It's a regulated loan. 
and you need to take careful account of how the loan proceeds are going to be used and how the cash from the loans is going to be treated. And I think the practice of good contracts, planning carefully and precisely around this is is key because if sellers fail to do that, they could find themselves liable for problems that were actually created after they sold their company. So take care and draft good agreements. Thank you, Matt, for a great and timely discussion. Really, it was really great having you today. Thank you so much for having me, Joel. I really enjoyed it. And now it's time for this week in history. May 21st is a special day. In 1927, Charles Lindbergh became the first person to complete a solo transatlantic flight, arriving in Paris in his famous plane, The Spirit of St. Louis. And on the same day, five years later, Amelia Earhart accomplished the same feat, becoming the first woman to do so when she landed near Londonderry in Northern Ireland. We take inspiration from these two events and look forward to the day when we can, without hesitation, jump on a plane again and follow in the footsteps of these giants of aviation. To all of you tuning in, thank you for listening to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast.